0: Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to First Thessalonians chapter four. Again, there's a Bible in the pew right in front of you, or in the chair right in front of you. If you're in the front row, you're just gonna have to listen. Faith comes by hearing, <laughs> hearing the word of Christ. So um, you won't be at that disadvantage. So um, let me read to you First Thessalonians four thirteen to seventeen, as or thirteen to eighteen, as we bring a word from the Lord. To this memorial. Page 836, if you are looking for it in the Brown Pew Bible. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Father, with our Bibles open before us and with us just hearing you speak, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the hope we have in Christ. And may it glorify you even as we remember our brother Al. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. Death comes to us all, except, as we see in this passage, those who are here when Christ returns. Bereavement comes to most. There are two ways you can grieve. If you look here at verse 13, it says, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. So you can either grieve hopelessly, you can be discouraged and depressed and hopeless, or you can grieve hopefully. With hope and courageously, as it says in verse 18, encourage each other. Give courage to one another with these words that you might, grieve with, you might grieve courageously and hopefully even in cloudy days. Paul wants us to be encouraged in this text. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter. He wants us to be encouraged and hopeful while bereaved and while grieving. The world doesn't know how to do this. How do people grieve when they don't have hope? Have you thought about that? Well, to grieve with hopelessness, they either are completely hopeless, or they have a thin, fragile hope that is really corroded with unstable foundations and oftentimes wishful thinking. Let me give you some examples from, this is a few years ago now, I probably should have looked up the Prince Memorial. I don't know if he's had a memorial yet, Prince, you know, who passed away recently. But Michael Jackson, during his memorial... You know, here are some of the things that people said to Michael Jackson. May you finally rest in peace, Rhonda from Pittsburgh. May you finally rest in peace, dear. You may sleep now, sweet one, and look over your children so they may not go through what you did. So the idea is that Michael Jackson can watch over his children and protect them. Iris from Ohio says, Michael, I still tear up when I see you on TV. I will miss you. God bless your kids and your family. You have your wings to look over them every day. Again, just a thought about what happens after you die. You get your wings. Tanya or Tanya said, may I send my most sincere and heartfelt sympathy to all of your family and friends. May they take heart in knowing that you know more. You are no more than a heartbeat away and a memory away and that you'll be watching watching over them from Above. Brooke Shields, at the memorial, said, Smile, though your heart is aching. Speaking to the audience. Today, although your hearts are aching, we need to look up where Michael Jackson is undoubtedly perched on a crescent moon. And we need to smile. And then the crowd broke into applause. So you see that there's all kinds of views of what happens after you die. And when you don't have hope, you have creative thinking, to say the least. And it could even be sprinkled with a little bit of God and a little bit of Bible. So um, some have said things like this. One of the persons there again said, I believe so much in God at this memorial. I believe so much that this is not it. We have a life after this is done. Everyone applaud. applauded. So my brother is in a place now where he is most certainly going to live forever in the hereafter. That's a biblical thought, eternal life. The Bible teaches that. Now, I'm not saying that this person has to preach how you get eternal life, but it largely assumes maybe how you get eternal life. And then the last one I'll, say, I'll read here is Melissa Hawkins from Kentucky. She writes, Sorry to see you go, Michael. We loved your music. There was only one. Your presence will be missed. My heart is very sad for the family. May God be with you and keep you. May Christ, all capitals, this is her writing, May Christ, so there's Jesus in it, May Christ save your soul. Rest in peace. Again, even with Jesus in there, there's an idea that after you die, there's not judgment, but maybe you could be saved still after you die. So you could have Jesus in it, you could have Jesus not in it, but when, when there is a passing of a loved one, creative thinking gets, starts to generate. And we want to grieve not as those who have no hope, we don't want to guess or just have wishful thinking or imaginations and who can come up with the sweetest thought to make us feel a little bit better in this time of grief. We want a rock to stand on. We want truth. We want God's word. And that's what Paul gives us here, God's word. He wants us to grieve hopefully and grieve courageously. And so I ask the question, why? Why, why should we do this? Or, or how can we even do this? On what basis can we grieve with hope when it hurts so bad When we miss our loved one, four reasons why we can grieve with hope. And I'll say these briefly. Number one, in verse 16, it says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. So the first reason why we can grieve with hope and with courage is because Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. This is not the end. Christ will come again, and it says in Revelation 21 and 22, after his coming, after the judgment, I'll read to you just uh, maybe 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the, first earth and the first, or for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When Jesus comes, he's finally going to bring his kingdom and we will be in a new universe. You know Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is at Revelation 21. He's creating a new heavens and a new earth, a new universe. That's the first reason why we can grieve with hope, because Jesus has come again. Secondly, though, we can grieve courageously and hopefully because God will raise the dead to be with Jesus. Listen to verses 14, 15, and 16 again from 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 14 says this, you can follow with your eyes if you have your Bible in front of you. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We've, those who fall asleep in him will be brought with Jesus. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And I read that part with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So why can we grieve with hope? Because when Jesus comes again, he's going to raise Al from the dead. And if you die and you're buried, then you too will be raised from the dead And be given a glorified body when Jesus Christ returns. The dead in Christ have this hope. Notice it says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Sleep is a nice way of thinking about death. And the Bible here reserves that way of thinking for Christians. You're only falling asleep if you're in Christ. Because you're going to wake up again to life everlasting. Now, just answering your questions here. Al right now is not sleeping like soul sleep. He is... To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he's there in his not yet glorified body, just up there with the Lord. But that's not the final heaven. It's temporary temporary up there until Christ comes again. And when Jesus comes, the dead in Christ will be raised and they will not miss out. Now, Al was in Christ, as you've heard. And Christ was in him and he lived that out. You've seen it in many ways. If you've known Al, whether you're a Christian or not. I can only speak of the ways I've seen the Lord Jesus in Al's life in the past 17 months that I've known him as his pastor. I saw it in his love for the word. Him and Gene were reading through the Bible. They were on Deuteronomy as they were making their way through the whole Bible. He was really excited. He said, you know, brother, I've never read through the whole Bible, straight through And He was on his way as we were challenging the church to read through the Bible. He loved the church family, his prayers always expressed his love for, for the Lord and his love for us. And his desire for God's glory was always bigger than his personal preferences and agendas. And you know that you've heard that from Al's servant heart. Even if he had a desire, his agenda wasn't primary. He was always willing to set that aside for the bigger agenda of God's kingdom. And that encourages a young pastor like me in this church. And so that's the second reason why we could... Grieve, um, grieve courageously and hopefully. The third reason, not just because Christ is coming again, not just because the dead in Christ will rise, but third, because we who are still alive will be snatched up with Jesus. Listen to verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. So with Al and all those others who have died in Christ and have risen before us. They're they're meeting the Lord in the air, we're caught up together to meet them, meet Al and the others in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So we meet up with everyone else, we have this great reunion, so that we can all meet with the Lord Jesus himself, the star of the show, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Lord. And in that time we will receive glorified, imperishable, imperishable bodies, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, we will meet together in the air And so, Gene, let me say this to you. Your best days with Al are not behind you. They are before you and still to come. And that's not just true for you. That's true for all of us. Our best days with Al are not behind us. We had some great times. And you had, you know, for me the last two years. But for you, 53 years of marriage. And even before that, when you forgot his name and... You know, and he asked you on a date. So you have lots of memories and great times with Al. But even till now, these are not the best. The best is yet to come. We will meet Al and the rest in the air and we'll meet the Lord. And so let me describe for you heaven, because there are a lot of um, wacky ideas out there. So I want to read from this little book, Randy Alcorn, On Heaven. He has some really good things here. Let me read to you a few things here. It says, what will heaven be like? So let me tell you what it's going to be like. Scripture gives us many images that are full of implications about heaven. Put them together and these jigsaw pieces form a beautiful picture. For example, we're told that heaven is a city. When we hear the word city, we shouldn't scratch our heads and think, I wonder what that means. We understand cities. Cities have people, buildings, activities, gatherings, art, music, athletics, events of all kinds, and goods and services. Heaven is also described as a country. We know about countries. We also know what earth is like. And thus we know much of what the new earth will be like. If we can't imagine our present earth without rivers and mountains and trees and flowers, then why should we try to imagine a new earth without these features? If the word earth has any meaning, it means that we can expect to find earthly things there, including atmosphere, mountains, water, trees, people, houses, even cities, buildings and streets, which are specifically mentioned in Revelation 21 and 22. Just as a new car is a better version of an old car, but with all the same essential components, four wheels, an engine, transmission, steering wheel, etc., so too will the new earth be a far better version of the old earth, but with all the same essential physical components. The new earth will be God's dwelling place, but it will also be fashioned by God for resurrected people to live there. We'll love our eternal home and we'll love being with Jesus and his family, which will be our family forever. And let me read my favorite one. I can't resist. I have to read a second one here just because it's so good. What won't be in heaven? I've read this to our church family before, but never gets old to me. What won't be in heaven? No death. No suffering. No funeral homes, abortion clinics, or psychiatric wards. No rape, missing children, or drug rehabilitation centers. No bigotry. No muggings or killings. No worry or depression or economic downturns. No wars. No unemployment. No anguish over failure and miscommunication. No con men. No locks. No death. No mourning. No pain. No boredom. No arthritis. No handicaps. No cancer. No taxes. No bills. No computer crashes. No weeds. No bombs. No drunkenness. No traffic jams and accidents. No septic tank backups. No mental illness. No unwanted emails. Close friendships, but no clicks. Laughter, but no put downs. Intimacy, but no temptation to immorality. No hidden agendas. No backroom deals. No betrayals. Imagine mealtimes full of stories, laughter, and joy without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything that eclipses joys. Joy. That will be heaven. There won't be churches or temples in the new universe, not because they're bad, but because they won't be necessary. We won't need to be drawn into God's presence. We'll live there constantly and consciously. We'll thank God profoundly and worship and praise him together, whether we're working in a garden, singing, riding bikes, or drinking coffee. No reason to think there won't be coffee trees on the new earth. (laughs) Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward reward in heaven. No one will go hungry, and all will be satisfied. No one will weep, everyone will laugh. That is the promise of Jesus. Count on it. That's what we have to look forward to. We will meet the Lord in the air to be with Him. And you know what the best part of this reunion is? It's not the reunion without. It's a communion with Christ. Even now, as then, our best times with Al, you know why they're so sweet? Because they pointed to Christ. He's made in the image of God, just like we're all made in the image of God. And your best times with any other human is only good because it's a taste of God himself. God is the main attraction. Jesus will be there, and and Al will be worshiping the Lord with with ever-increasing joy, and we will join him. Like a balloon that expands, you you think you're going to burst of joy in God, but it will just increase and increase forever and ever and ever. You're always on a joy high in the new earth because it's perfectly in God with no sin or curse or selfishness to diminish and distract you from rejoicing in God with God's people on the new earth forever and ever and ever. Hope is hope because we get Jesus, primarily. Not because of our reunion with others, though that is a sweet deal thrown in. So that's a third reason to, to, to grieve with hope, because we will be caught up in the air. And lastly, briefly, we grieve courageously and hopefully because Jesus died and rose. This is the ground of our hope. Listen to verse 14 one more time. It begins with the word if. We believe that if Jesus died and rose again, and or... If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So this is the big condition. None of this is true, and all of this I've said so far is wishful thinking, unless Jesus actually lived, actually died, and actually rose again. And the good news is, is that he has. 5 or 4 B.C., The years were a little bit off in the way they counted a few hundred years later. Died around about 33 AD or 30 AD. Jesus was a historical person. If you believe in George Washington, you've never seen him. You just believe because of historical data. If you believe in historical data, then you should also believe in Jesus Christ. The evidence is overwhelming. Jesus lived on this earth in Israel or Palestine today, as some might call it. He lived on this earth. He died on the cross for sinners. And he rose from the dead on the third day, defeating Satan, sin and death, giving life to all who will repent from their sins and trust in him. It says that those who rise here are those who are in Christ. Our sister Bambi just sang in Christ alone. What it means to be in Christ is to be united to Jesus. And that only comes by faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from your sin. If you do not repent from your sin and turn from your sin and turn from your religion... And trust in Christ alone. If you're trusting in your own good works and your own religious works, even Christian Baptist works, even, or if you or if you just continue to live against Christ, if you don't turn from trusting in those things and trust in Christ, there is no resurrection hope for you. Only condemnation and judgment. And our brother Al would would you know I I, I would I could hear him almost tell me, preach the cross, PJ. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them to trust in Christ. Tell them to turn from sin. Tell them that judgment is real. We all deserve judgment. Here's the gospel. God made us all in his image to enjoy him forever. But we have rebelled against God and chosen not to have God as our ultimate joy, but to use God as a butler to show for us to other things we enjoy. That's what sin is. It's, it's not ignoring God completely. It's using God as a, as a servant for other treasures. When God says, I'm the treasure... And when we worship other treasures, we call that idolatry. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal what? Life. So this death is eternal death. We all deserve to die, not just physically, but spiritually forever in hell. But God sent his son. This is Al's favorite verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God is calling you this morning To believe in Jesus, His death and His resurrection for you. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Your health is sinking sand. Your money is sinking sand. Your job is sinking sand. Your education, your hobbies, your religion, your resources, your pride, your family, your church, your upbringing, your morality. None of these things will save you from death. And none of these things can save you from judgment. But God can. And He has made a way in Christ. Will you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus today? There's nothing more, I think, that Gene or the family would love to talk to you about than how to trust in Jesus if you have not yet turned from your sins and trusted in Christ. If you're a Christian church family here and other Christian brothers and sisters, let me read to you one, let me close with verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encouragement in grief and hope in grief is a community project. Jean knows the Bible. The Holy Spirit lives in her. God has written His law in her heart. But God has, never, God has not made any one of us self-sufficient. We need each other. We need to encourage each other regularly with these words, with the hope of the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection and His second coming. So I want to challenge family and friends who are Christians here to encourage one another with these words, to encourage Jean and Lisa, and Linda, and the Steves, and their, and Al's grandchildren, encourage them, and let's encourage one another with these words. Christ is coming again, and the best days are yet to come. Let's pray. Father, take these words, hide them in our heart that we would not sin against you. And when we do, may we run back to the cross again and again and again, where Christ died for our sins and rose to defeat sin. We thank you that death no longer has a sting. The grave doesn't have victory, not for us in Christ. It is just a passing through. It is just a nap before we wake up to the second coming of Christ and the kingdom which is to come. And so, Father, we declare here that we'd rather have you and rather have your son than all the riches and health in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.